Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 as we continue uh, verse by verse in this wonderful epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 and I'll be reading verse 20 and verse 21. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. The Bible says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for your love towards us. Thank you, dear Lord, that you love us in spite of ourselves, in spite of who we are. We ask for your continued blessings as your word goes forth tonight, and we ask that you would use it for the furtherance of your gospel and for uh, the strengthening of your people. I ask, dear Lord, that you would give me the words you'll have me to say. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit, that I may preach what thus saith the Lord. And we'll be careful to give you honor and glory and praise, dear Lord, for you alone are worthy of it. Use your word as only you can to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The continual requirement for authentication in our daily lives has made it such a part of how we live, how we function, that when something occurs outside of the norm, it grabs our attention immediately. But even then, we may not always pay attention to the warning signs. To illustrate, maybe to help it be a little more clear of what I'm getting at, we live in a world where continually, as we go about our daily activities and we go to school, we go to, uh, on the job, we uh, go about uh, encountering uh, businesses and have to engage in financial transactions and otherwise, we're finding ourselves, if you pay attention, continually having to authenticate who we are. Just today, I, I went to the ATM, and you say, another ATM story. Uh, and in an attempt to do a transaction, I unknowingly entered my card and PIN. But when I did so, I realized that the menu options on the screen were a little different. They were a little differently placed. It got my attention, but I continued wondering if, maybe because of my IT background, maybe the bank had upgraded their software. And, but as I continued the transaction, it kept telling me that the funds were not available at this time. I was like, <laughs> this is a little puzzling. So I said, you know what, maybe I miscalculated how much is on the account, so I reduced the amount and did the transaction again. It gave me the same error. I reduced the, trans the amount again. It gave me, okay, so, okay, so, okay so, I know something is drastically wrong. So I finally left after three or four tries. Then it occurred to me that I had inserted in the machine my credit card instead of my debit card. The Adventures of Authentication. I went back and did it, and everything was all well and good. 
When it comes to living the Christian life, it is so vitally important that we are authentic and are able to be authenticated not for a pat on our shoulders or a feeling of personal pride, but so that we are indeed different and distinct from the world. Why is it so important that believers, that child, children of God, that a born-again believer is distinct and different from the world, my friend, is so that, that we can be recognizable as God's children. You see, it is so important that we properly represent the Savior so that we end up not bringing confusion to a lost and dying world. In 1 John chapter 3, the apostle here gives a number of what I call authenticated practices. In other words, he gives a number of distinguishing, distinctive features, if you will, or qualities, characteristics that should be evident of children of God, such that when a person who does not know God recognizes a person who they might be a complete stranger or they might be someone who they have known for quite some time because of the distinctiveness, because of the difference, that person is able to say there's something different about them. Uh, they must be a child of God. They must be a born-again believer who has met the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when that takes place, we then now have an opportunity to share the gospel with that person. To lead that one to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've observed a number of authenticated practices. And very quickly, by way of review, we've seen that a child of God will have love for the brethren. Amen? Love is of God. God is love. And when we receive this divine nature, the Bible says that God's love is shed abroad in our hearts. And it ought to manifest itself in love for the brethren. We saw secondly that a born-again believer in authenticating him or herself will desire to live a holy life. God is holy. And he says, be holy as I am holy. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. One of the things that becomes new when we receive this new nature is a desire for living a holy life. There's something drastically wrong if one claims to be born again but still has the insatiable desire for the mock and mess of the world. We ought to love the brethren. We ought to live a holy life. But when we do so, let me warn you, you're going to be loathed by the world. In other words, you're going to be hated by the world. We, we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. And when you end up on the side of right, believe me, you're going to be attacked by the side of wrong. That ought not to be a shock. That ought not to seem strange. But we saw, fourthly, that a child of God... A born-again believer is going to desire to lay down his or her life for others. Why is that so normal? Why should that be natural? Well, because the Savior laid down his life 
for us. Amen? We saw fifthly, in which we are currently looking at, is that a child of God, a born-again believer, one who uh, authenticates what God has done in his or her life, is going to be led by the Spirit of God. Thank God for his leading. Amen? Were it not for his guidance, for his direction, we would be in serious trouble. Child of God should call it a privilege that we have an opportunity to be led, not by humans, but by the Holy Spirit of God, which never makes a mistake. What a privilege, what a blessing. We saw it last week as we observe and draw attention to verse 20 and verse 21. It says, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and know it all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Here, as he refers to the heart, he's also speaking to what we refer to as our conscience. Our conscience. And in being led by the Spirit of God, understand that the Holy Spirit of God is not our conscience. The Holy Spirit of God is a person, is the third person of the Godhead. But we, as we are yielded to the Spirit of God, guess what? God is going to take our conscience and help our conscience to be sensitive to his leading. In other words, we will acquire what I want to call a spiritual conscience. A conscience that's influenced by the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Our spiritual conscience will, will be one such that we are governed by the Spirit. And when we are governed by the Spirit, it will indeed, or he will indeed, guide our steps. I can't tell you how many times I've avoided a pitfall, a downfall. Making a royal mess because the Holy Spirit intervened. What a blessing to be led by the Spirit of God. And so we observed last time that the spiritual conscience is influenced by, by, by the Spirit of God as we are obedient to his direction. But I want you to notice tonight, and very importantly, that our conscience is seared by contempt. We noted last time that that our conscience is this mechanism, if you will, that God has placed inside each and every one of us that ought to give us a sense of right and wrong, what is good and what is bad. But when we dismiss this conscience, after a while, it fails to function normally. Let me draw your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2. And we're looking at a number of parallel passages to support the verses that we read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21. But look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4. And verse number two. It's important to understand that just because our conscience doesn't prick us doesn't mean that we are doing right. Let's read verse number one, 1 Timothy chapter 4 for continuity. 
It says, now the spirit speaketh expressly. Meaning very clearly, very definitively, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. And note the next phrase, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Here it is speaking again to this conscience. But this conscience which, which might function normally to alert someone of, of right and wrong. To prick you. To say, no, don't do that. To bother you when you violate it in continuing in a practice of wrong. To ignore it time and time and time again. Eventually that conscience is as if it's damaged. It's seared with a hot iron. In other words, it no longer is sensitive to what is right and what is wrong. No longer able to distinguish what is right and what is wrong. Why? It is seared by contempt. You see, my friends, if an individual continually, time after time after time, ignores what God is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying, what even their conscience is saying, after a while, it no longer bothers. You may have heard of the story and the reality of a frog. If you place a frog in hot water, right off the bat, boiling water, immediately that frog is going to bounce back out, jump back out. Why? Because that water is seen as dangerous, damaging, deadly. On the other hand, if you were to take that frog and place it in cool water, room temperature water, and slowly but surely, gradually increase the temperature of that water such that it is not, it is not discerned by that frog that the temperature is rising. Eventually, what happens is that that frog adjusts to the temperature, gets comfortable to the point where it will be burned or boiled to death, not recognizing the danger. That is a good illustration of what happens with our conscience. You know, when we say oftentimes, boy, they purge their conscience, they just dismissed it, and it now becomes unrecognizable. To distinguish what is right and what is wrong. A conscience is seared by contempt. I want you to notice with me a number of verses here. I want you to draw your attention to the fact that our conscience is affected by our internal mechanism, but it's also affected by external observation. And so we're going to look at a number of passages, and I want you to note this with me. 
as we examine the fact that our consciences can be damaged. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, the first verse that we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's an example of where an individual is responsible directly for hindering their own conscience, for damaging their conscience by, by intentionally doing what is wrong when that conscience is pricking to say, don't do that. Don't do that. There's an individual impact, an internal impact by the person with the conscience. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 7. It says, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For, with, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience is being weak is defiled. Here you have a uh, a scenario where an individual has a conscience that has not yet been sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Not been impacted by spiritual maturity. And so he says here, how be it in that man there is not that knowledge. For some with the conscience of the idol unto this hour, it is a thing offered unto an idol because their conscience is weak. It's weak. Not yet developed not yet discerning for things that are right and wrong. And in this case, saying, eating something that's offered unto an idol. So that person may be doing something that is wrong, but they have not yet grown in spiritual maturity, and so their conscience being weak is defiled. But look with me at verse number 10 which shows somewhat of a slightly different scenario. It says, For if any man see thee which hath knowledge, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered unto idols? So here you have a situation where an individual who knows better, who's been saved, let's say, for a length of time, who understands that, that doing the same thing that a weak brother in Christ would do would hinder another. In such a case, an individual who knows better but decides to do it affects another person who's weak in the faith. Have you ever done something and you knew that it wasn't the best thing to do? Or you even knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. But because you saw another brother in Christ do it, it actually became okay in your mind. Never happened to you? If we're honest with ourselves, we would recognize that we are impacted and influenced by others. That is why in living the Christian life, we are not to live the Christian life just based on right and wrong, but on better and best. There's some things that we ought to weed out of our lives because by doing them, we cause the weaker brother to stumble. That's why Paul talks about the matter of liberty. That I ought not to use my liberty as an occasion to cause another to stumble or to fall. 
Look at first at first Thessalonians. As a matter of fact, look at verse number 12, which further underscores this point. It says, But when he sinned so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, look at this, ye sin against Christ. How many times in churches do you hear individuals, Pastor, what's wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that. That could absolutely be correct. But what's wrong with it might not be inherently what's wrong with it, but what might be wrong with it is that by engaging in it, it caused a weaker brother in Christ to stumble and fall, and in doing so, he sinned against Christ. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. Very familiar passage, very familiar verse to us. It says, quench not the spirit. Here we have a verse that, that, that we quote, uh, but it is linked directly to the fact that when, a, when an individual quenches the spirit, he or she is aware of what the Holy Spirit is saying, but makes a conscious decision to ignore it. Can you imagine putting the Holy Spirit on ignore? Putting God on ignore? That happens in services over and over and over. God is speaking and as if, God, I'm not listening to you. And in doing so, we quench the spirit. In other words, the spirit decides, I'm not going to actively work. I'm not going to make my voice as loud. Look at first at Titus chapter 1 and verse number 15. And this verse underscores this aspect of the conscience and how dangerous it is to defile a conscience. Look at what it says in verse number 15. It says, unto the pure are all things pure. In other words, when your conscience is a spiritual conscience that's led by the Spirit of God, you're able to discern what is right. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. What a dangerous place to be. Where you no longer have the ability to discern good from evil, right from wrong, what is destructive and what is helpful. And look at verse number 16. Look at the devastating consequence. They profess that they know God. I mean, how many times do you observe? And this is, this is just by way of observation. I mean, individuals who are, I mean, they claim they are filled with the Spirit. I mean, they're speaking in tongues. They're raising their hands in worship. 
But basic Christian living is sorely absent. I mean, the same tongue that they were speaking with in the spirit is the same tongue that they use to curse you out. And you're like, wait, didn't the Holy Spirit tell you anything about that? They profess that they know God, but in works, they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Why? That's because of a defiled conscience. And as I mentioned on Sunday, there's something so sinister and devastatingly destructive about being on the wrong path, being spiritually blind, but being totally incapable to recognize it and to think with all apparent sincerity and honesty that they're doing the right thing. That's a sign of major trouble. So it ought to behoove all of us to recognize that we have an important obligation and responsibility that when God speaks to us, we listen. When God speaks to us, we obey. And in doing so, we become sensitive. Do you know that you can improve your hearing by listening to sounds that are soft. You realize that when you only respond to loud sounds, after a while you can't hear soft sounds? We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And you see, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is not going to be yelling. It's a soft voice. And oftentimes that voice is drowned out by all of the other loud voices that are distracting. And the more we tune our ears, be sensitive to what God is saying and to respond with obedience become more sensitive to what he's saying and become more sensitive to the sound of his voice and that's such a very important thing and as we listen to him our conscience becomes molded to be spiritually minded to be spiritually sensitive to what God is saying what a tragedy it would be for God to be speaking and for us not to be able to distinguish his voice not to be able to hear what he's saying because of a response of contempt that has gone on perpetually. God says, I want to lead my people 
I want to direct them. I want to navigate them away from the perils, from the traps, from the landmines. But my people must be willing to listen. But not just to listen, but to take heed. That's why James says, be not just a hearer of the word, but a and may God help us to be sensitive to be led by the spirit of God and as we are led it will be one of those authenticated practices that others say wow well you made some decisions there that were it not for God's leading it would not be possible for you to make the right decision an authenticated practice that can further distinguish God's people, help us to be distinctive in a world that's looking for individuals who are true, who are authentic, who name the name of Christ, not just in word, but also in deed.